So it comes to this. A year ago, Jonathan Cain died, and Julian Cain declared war on the World Wrestling Alliance to make the Empire the one and only wrestling company in America. He raided the Alliance of their top guys and even tried to take the world title belt. The Alliance reeled and struggled to understand and accept what happened, and had varying levels of success in their attempts to survive and respond to the loss of their biggest stars, while Julian Kane dealt with his own obstacles in creating his dream company. But in the end came a bombshell from the most unlikeliest of sources, Julian's number two and number three guys, the Greek and the Roman, an insider takeover plot from Sal Spinelli that forced Julian to put all his eggs in one basket and create Empire Mania, the biggest wrestling show of all time. But when the pennies were counted, it wasn't enough. And Sal Spinelli will take over Jonathan Kane's company that Julian turned into a powerhouse. We now present to you the final episode of The Kings of the Ring. Today's episode would be rated M.A. for profanity and sexual content. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Kings of the Ring. As the sun begins to set, a long brown thunderbird with New York plates rumbles down a snowy Highway 41 through Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and pulls off the highway to a bar with a large neon sign that reads, Mama Bees. The car door of this old boat, caked with road salt, dirt, and snow, opens, and out steps Prince Abdullah Akbar, wearing a bandana over his head and a long winter overcoat. He looks worse for wear, the glow he once had, now gone. The Prince of Persia kicks the slush off his boots and timidly enters the bar, hoping he doesn't run into Charlie Gotch or any of his stooges this close to Milwaukee. The bar looks a little rough and not a lot of women, but the Prince has never been too picky as he admires the looks of a few girls who probably don't get admired very often, and imagines fucking them. As the bouncer motions him through, another bouncer runs over. Hey Jim, it's Prince Abdullah. Holy shit, you are the prince. Hey man, we don't want any trouble. Of course not, my young friends. I am only here to eat some fucking food. I've been driving all the fucking way from the middle of North Dakota, all the way to New York. I take a wrong turn and now I'm here. All because, because, my life is the shits. Yeah, I know you hate America and our way of life. So we'll throw your ass right to the curb. You try singing the Arab National Anthem or try putting someone in the camel clutch or something. Ah, fucking Marx. What'd you say? Ah, nothing. I will sit down. What is your name, friend? Ian. Ian Streeter. Ian, please send over waitress. As Abdullah looks for a seat, the bouncer warns his friend. Hey man, he sounds like a normal guy, but don't trust him. Remember what he did to Charlie Gotts in Brown County Arena back As the prince sits in a corner, sadly looking into his beer and his half-eaten cheeseburger, feeling sorry for himself, a fight breaks out as a drunken customer takes a swing at a guy who throws his bottle at him and misses and hits another guy in the back. Next thing you know, a full 1980s barroom brawl breaks out like a scene from a Burt Reynolds movie. Prince Abdullah picks up his beer and steps back to a far side of the room and enjoys the show. Like clockwork, the bouncers run over. He sees the one who recognized him at the door, 
as he picks up one of the brawling customers and gorilla presses him right over his head and throws him across the room. Then another hugely muscled guy with a unique shaved mohawk haircut bursts out of the kitchen, tears off his apron, and picks up a patron like nothing and throws him across the room like a pillow. Then another bouncer, also ripped and jacked, lifts a customer clean into the air in a bear hug, squeezing the life out of him, while the bartender climbs up on the bar and leaps up into the air and clotheslines him. One by one, at least half a dozen Mama Bee, bouncers, bartenders, and cooks file out and completely destroy the entire bar full of customers, each one more muscular and shredded than the next. And as the smoke clears, Abdullah looks at all of them and gets an idea. Kings of the Ring, Episode 20, End of the Road. In Jilly Rizzo's saloon, the favorite haunt of Frank Sinatra and other respected Italian individuals, is the celebration place for one Sal Spinelli. The retired wrestler surrounded by his friends from the old neighborhood, as they yuck it up with their cigars and suits, their gumas sitting beside them while their wives are at home with the kids, all at the biggest table in the joint, drinking wine and Remy Martin this fine afternoon to salute Sal as the new owner of the Empire Wrestling Federation. Hey Enzo, is Frank coming? Hey no, Mr. Spinelli. Mr. Sinatra, he don't wake up until two o'clock. He's still eating a breakfast, I'm sure. What about Dominic Dante? Is he here yet? Hey, no, Mr. Spinelli. He are no gone. Sal turns to someone next to him. Heh, it's a shame no Dominic. I thought he would have accepted my invitation. He's the greatest wrestler of all times, and a proud Italian. I have big plans for him when he take over. Hey, Sally, he's been retired for years now. Uh, he ain't coming back. Yeah, we'll see about that. Hey, Enzo, another round of drinks for my friends. They're thirsty. Of course, I'm Mr. Spinelli. Come on, Julian. Won't be that bad working for Sal and Louie. Right, Nigel? Nigel doesn't respond. He just looks at Henderson. As the three men are in Julian's office in the Empire State Building. While Julian stands against the window looking out at the city, cold and blustery. I am not working for Sal Spinelli. Even with the cancelled sites, merchandise and program sales were strong. All told, Empire Mania was by far the highest grossing show in wrestling history. Empire as a company grossed more money in 1984 than any other wrestling company ever. But to build Empire to what it is, what it will be, was also an expensive undertaking. You have any money saved up or can you mortgage your house, Julie? It's not about having money on hand or on net worth, Leslie. It's about profitability. Julian must demonstrate that Empire is bringing in more money than it's spending by a certain margin. Well, buying an entire floor of the Empire State Building probably didn't help. <laughs> Julian tries to keep his temper in check by taking a deep breath. We've been over this, Leslie. Julian found out Empire was behind after this, and several other purchases and investments were made. It's been a mad scramble ever since. Investments? Well, just sell them off. I didn't mean literal investments like stock purchases or- Stop! What? Julian turned around, a twinkle in his eye. We did make significant investments for the company and our future. If you mean to sell off production equipment and rings, we are shy almost $700,000. 
Besides, the attorneys wouldn't accept that as profit since we'd have to buy it right back anyway. No, we did invest in tangible entities, like television coverage. Those are agreements paid monthly. They're not assets. What about our Saturday WVBS time slot? Again, it's not a tangible asset that we can sell because... Well, actually, the TV slot itself is not a sellable asset. But remember, Nigel, the only reason we have that is because it is contractually tied to Southeast Championship Wrestling, to which you are technically the owner of. Brilliant. Which means I can actually sell SCW, which would be considered pure profit. Wait a minute. You mean we need to buy back SCW? I like being here, guys. I don't want to go back to Atlanta. Shut up, you fool. I'm not selling SCW in the VBS TV slot to you. I'm selling it to the highest bidder. Julian looks at Nigel. Can we get 700 grand for it? I'm really not sure, Julian. We have to try. We have nothing else. Well, shit, call Charlie Gotch. I know he'll have the money. He's been selling out all over the territory with Goliath and Buddy. Never. Uh, not in a million years. Grocer Krawcheck. Julian's eyes turn black as he glares at Henderson. Uh, I mean, uh, Crenshaw. Bert Ironside makes the most sense to hit up first. His hillbilly parade is already on Sundays. This would give him exclusive domain over VBS. Besides, All South is not a threat. The lawyer's in Guzman's office. I'll tell them what we're doing. Nigel, you call Bert. Henderson, you call Crenshaw. I'm going to squeeze these two bumpkins for every penny they've got. Sal Spinelli steps out of Jilly Rizzo's in his long fur-lined trench coat, smoking a cigar, alongside his guma, a gorgeous brunette with too much makeup, and a glittery dress covered by a fur coat, and his lawyer, Saul, a shorter balding man with glasses and a brown suit. The limousine is waiting for them outside. All right, Saul. Let's go and pick up the keys to my kingdom, Sal says to the girl. Hey, Rosie, how about a nice big blowjob on the way over? You got it, big daddy, she joyfully exclaims. Let's get in the car, Saul the lawyer says. Um, can I just take a cab, please? <laughs> don't trouble yourself. I don't mind if you watch. Daniel Hawkins is in the bedroom of his mansion in suburban Charlotte, North Carolina. Despite it being the middle of the afternoon, the drapes are closed, as Daniel Hawkins is standing on the side of his oversized bed, having sex with an amazingly beautiful girl who is on all fours, his thinning brown hair frizzing in the air, his weak, flabby, thin body covered by patches of hair and moles all over his back. Daniel, annoyed, stops, pulls himself out, and goes to pick up the elegant-looking phone in his pristine bedroom. Hello. Danny boy, have I got news for you? Jesse, what's happening? The girl, who looks bored, crawls over to the nightstand and lights a cigarette. Remember when I told you how we can take our show national? Yeah. Well, opportunity just came a-knocking, and we need to answer the door. Daniel Hawkins' eyes grow. He turns to the girl, who's sitting against the plush headboard, and covers the phone receiver. Get out of here. She gives him a defiant look and blows smoke at him. He reaches into his wallet on the nightstand and pulls out a wad of cash and peels out a few bills and throws them at her. I said get the fuck out of here. He puts the phone down and looks for his robe, his hairy body exposed, his weird-looking undersized penis already shriveling up 
as she walks away, verifying the money count. Danny boy, can you wrestle up $700,000, but uh, in cash? Seven hundred grand. Why? Julian Kane's empire is already starting to crack. He's selling SCW, which means he's selling the VBS time slot. How would you like to get CWA on cable all over the country? Bert says he can do one million dollars. Nigel strides into Julian Kane's large office, where Julian is sitting on a table, while the lawyer representing the Jonathan Kane estate is making himself another cup of coffee. A million. I'm impressed, Nigel. Well, it's 300 up front, and the other 700,000 spread out over 12 months. Julian shakes his head, but looks to the lawyer, who also shakes his head as he goes to sip his coffee. I need 700,000 liquid. What's wrong with these hillbillies? Don't they have moonshine money or something? You did declare war on all of them, invaded their territory, stole their top talents, drove them off TV, and decimated their live attendants. They don't have money anymore. Yes, uh, good point, Nigel. That is rather ironic, isn't it? Anyway, get Bert on the phone and tell him to find some oil magnate in Texas or Oklahoma and find more cash, or he's out. Les Henderson walks in, a little dumbstruck. I don't know how he found out, but I just got a call from Daniel Hawkins. He's offering to buy the slot for 750 grand in cash. Word travels quickly, doesn't it? But Hawkins, that's Charlotte, right? Where Jesse James is holed up? No way. Julian, this would end this right now. Sell to Hawkins. No, it's bad enough I have to look in my child's room and see a digest poster of Jesse James. I'm not giving up cable coverage, too. Get me Raylan Crenshaw on the line. Henderson walks up and dials the phone on speaker. Hello. Raylan Crenshaw, my friend. It's Julian Kane. Oh, well, put my button. Call me a biscuit, Mr. Julian Kane. I hear you in a heap of trouble, boy. You need to be rescued like a damsel tied up on the railroad tracks. <laughs> I don't know where you heard I'm in trouble. I merely had a business proposal I thought you might be interested in. How would you like to take Wild Wild Wrestling beyond Tennessee and go national? <laughs> oh, you really must be desperate. This is priceless. Oh. Julian pushes the button hang up on him. Fuck him and his Redneck Wrestling Federation. A long black limousine pulls up in front of the Empire State Building. Door opens and Sal Spinelli's lawyer spills out onto the street, looking sick, gasping for air. I don't get paid enough for this shit. Sal steps out onto the sidewalk and proudly looks up at the towering skyscraper. Say hello to my new castle. I'm the king of New York. No, the king of wrestling. 1.2 million, Julian. Bert found 500,000 in cash and will give 700 over six months. A skeptical Julian looks to the lawyer, who shakes his head as he sips his coffee. Can I give him a personal loan for 200 grand for my money? Doesn't work that way. All funds must be traced from legitimate sources, and it can't come from you or any other shareholders. Julian, take the 750 offer from Hawkins and be done with this. Victory is yours for the taking. Just do it. Julian shakes his head. There's got to be another way. Fuck Jesse James. 
Les Henderson runs in. Julian, Sal Spinelli is in the building right now. Nigel wags his finger at Julian. When he walks into this office and signs those papers, you lose. You bloody lose. Now swallow your pride or whatever resentment you're harboring and stop being a fool. Julian, still sitting on the table, pauses and looks back at Nigel incredulously. Sal Spinelli in the elevator, straightening out his suit while his guma holds his coat and the lawyer looks up at the numbers, slowly going up. Julian slowly walks over to Nigel, standing near the desk. Henderson cringes as he's never seen anyone yell at Julian like that and not be dragged away by police. Julian stops in front of Nigel, who stands his ground. Dial the number. Henderson breathes a sigh of relief. As Nigel dials the phone, Julian picks up the receiver. Daniel, it's Julian. Julian, defiant, almost cocky, looks into Nigel's eyes as he speaks. You want VBS? I want a million dollars in cash. Nigel flips his chair as he storms out of the room. The elevator doors open and Sal Spinelli strides out followed by his guma and his lawyer. He looks around and smugly inhales the new office smell of the newly minted EWF headquarters. I've already met with the lawyers from Mr. Kane's estate here, so follow me to the main conference room. Saul nods to the secretary and leads the way. Sal and his pair step into the gigantic room. On the far wall, a huge portrait Jonathan Kane watching everything. A 20-foot-long oak table of power lies in the middle, along with stunning views of the city, the entire length of the windowed room. A flustered Nigel Davies, Les Henderson, and some others are seated on the sides. The Kane estate lawyers are standing behind them, and Julian Kane is seated at the head of the table, like Darth Vader. Spinelli is what you wanted, right? You stride in here with your Weasley lawyer and your, oh, this must be your daughter, right? Rosie gives Julian the middle finger to reap the spoils of your trap. Is that the only way you can win, Sal? Deception, deceit, sinking to the lowest depths of morality, completely unable to win in a fair fight? Sal adjusts the lapels of his $5,000 silk suit. What can I say, Julian? I did learn a lot from being around you. <laughs> well, it was a waste of time. You shouldn't have even bothered taking your coat off. Julian swings his chair around, puts his feet on the table, and his hands behind his head. Sal, confused, looks around at the lawyers, and then at Nigel's face, and all the others looking at him. <laughs> uh-uh. No fucking way. It's impossible. Empire Mania didn't make enough money. You didn't meet the parameters. That is true, Sal. Empire Mania did fall short of requirements. Which is why I sold the VBS time slot to Daniel Hawkins for $1 million. Sal's lawyer, Saul, runs over to the Kane estate lawyer and they talk quietly. He turns back to Sal with sad eyes. Motherfucker! You ain't heard the last of me, Julian! Sal spins around and stomps out. His girl chases after him, trotting in her high heels. 
You want another blowjob, Big Daddy? Saul runs after him. Yeah, geez, Sal, I feel awful. You want me to give you one? As Sal slams the door shut, the large portrait of Jonathan Kane falls to the floor and tips over face down. Julian Kane ignores it as he pulls out his favorite pen as his father's estate lawyer presents a document enclosed in a leather binder. And Julian signs his name to make him the official and permanent majority stockholder of the Empire Wrestling Federation. Over the past 20 years, Hollywood Buddy Melrose and Charlie Gotch must have wrestled a hundred times in Chicago Stadium for the belt in American Midwest Wrestling. The feud that truly carried AMW and cemented it as the largest territory in the U.S. Charlie has since retired from the ring, while Buddy became Charlie's most trusted advisor and best friend in the business, and has also been leaned on to carry AMW in its war with Julian Kane and the Empire. And one of the most valuable soldiers in this war has been the seven-foot giant Goliath, who has packed this arena with over 19,000 fans this wintry night to see this global attraction defend that very same belt against Hollywood Buddy Melrose. Goliath is acting extra gregarious at ringside, almost knocking over an old lady fan in his unbridled enthusiasm. The fans are loving it. Charlie Gotch looks on with concern as he stands beside his son at the edge of the arena floor. What's going on with Goliath tonight? He's the shits out there. He flew here straight from L.A. after an 11-hour flight from Tokyo. So, he doesn't look tired. He's drunk. Drunk as a skunk. At least one bottle of Crown Royal since I picked him up from O'Hare, and who knows how many he's had since Japan. You can't let him do that. You're acting like I have the slightest bit of control over this... this beast. Dad, he does whatever he wants, and you pay him for it. Eh, he's not that bad. You don't need to control him. Just manage it. This Glyde has saved this company and been worth every penny. But to reap the benefits of Goliath, you have to make certain sacrifices. And that's what you get with him. That's all. Nelly shakes his head at his stubborn father and watches Goliath stumble around the ring, almost falling to the floor, laughing to the referee in this state. Well, shit, uh, we should probably tell him to go home before he makes a total fool out of himself. Go on. Nellie tucks his pencil behind his ear and walks down the arena aisle, trying to be inconspicuous to the fans, who are all focused on the match anyway. As he gets to ringside, he looks in the ring at the referee, who notices him. As Goliath has Buddy Melrose pressed against the corner, pushing his chin up to expose his chest, the ref tells Goliath to go home. Goliath slams his mighty arm, crashing down on Buddy's chest with a chop that feels like a whale's flute. Buddy feels the full force of that blow and didn't even need to bump as his body crashed to the mat from the sheer force. The 48-year-old veteran is wheezing for breath as he tries to tell Goliath to take it easy, but Goliath is already facing outwards and climbing to the second turnbuckle. He bellows to the crowd as he leaps into the air while holding the top rope and comes crashing down on Buddy Melrose in a sitting position. Sloppily releases the ropes, completely caving in Buddy's chest with the full force of over 400 pounds. 
Goliath stays seated on his chest, laughing to the crowd as the referee counts one, two, three. As the crowd cheers, Goliath looks around drunkenly, smiling to the fans, while twisting and leaning all of his weight on Buddy's chest, forgetting he's sitting on another human being. Off, Don, the referee shouts at Goliath, who eventually rolls off and pulls himself up to his feet, egging on the fans. The referee leans over Buddy Melrose, who is completely still. He looks into his closed eyes and slaps his face, which just rolls to the side, unmoving, as Goliath drunkenly dances around the ring, riling up the fans. The referee looks to Nelly Gotch at ringside, with tears in his eyes, shaking his head. Nelly Gotch slides into the ring to Buddy Melrose's lifeless body as he puts his ear to his chest, while the ref shakes Buddy to no avail. Charlie Gotch watches in horror. Oh my god, what have I done? An older man in a tan suit and a bolo tie, hair thick and white as snow. The papers are complete. I've reviewed the medical reports, and I can see with my very own eyes the permanent damage done to you, which may very well end your broadcasting career. This monster will pay the price for the reprehensible actions he has perpetrated upon you. An innocent victim merely doing his job and conducting an interview a process you have engaged in hundreds, if not thousands of times before, but never to elicit a reaction such as this. We will not be meek, passive, or forgiven in how we deal with this man. And I'm pleased to see you have taken my advice and are now wearing the proper brace of support for your horrific injuries. A smile breaks out in the face of ABC reporter Michael Sluck, whose face and neck is wrapped while his jaw is wired shut. What exactly are we going to do to him? This is America, Mr. Sluck. We are going to sue Crusher Krawcheck and Heartland Wrestling for every penny they have. The Angel Boys, Gabriel and Raphael, are just about to be introduced to a half-empty Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas. Raphael grabs Gabriel's arm to stop him. Gabe, already at his limit with Raph, looks down at where he's grabbing and snatches his arm away. Hey, you know how I take the heat and make the hot tag to you, then you clean house. Hey, well, I don't think that's going to work for me anymore, brother. Gabriel stops and turns to face him. Yeah, I found out that you used to take the heat. Then Michael would get the hot tag and clean up. Then you switched it up because of your ego. That's why houses are down. So we're going to go back to doing the right thing. And he walks off before Gabriel can even say a word. Raphael Angel lands a flurry of punches to the delight of the crowd. And bruiser brother Jake cuts him off by kneeing him in the gut. He throws him into the corner. And Buster, the other bruiser brother, starts choking him while Jake socks him in the gut again. The same sequence they do every night as they work on Raphael, trick the referee, double team him into oblivion, until Gabriel, the number one babyface in the territory, saves the day, wins a match, and everyone goes home happy. They've been doing this so much, they don't even need to call the spot to Raphael anymore. Except this time, Raphael pushes him off and literally runs to the other side of the ring and slaps Gabriel's hand. A confused Gabriel looks at Raphael 
What the fuck are you doing? Raphael stops selling all damage and climbs out onto the ring apron, expecting Gabriel to enter. Gabriel, caught off guard, forces a smile for the fans and steps back into the ring. Jake runs at him, so Gabriel ducks. Jake bounces off the ropes and Gabe nails him with a high drop kick. He goes to tag Raphael to resume their usual routine. Fuck that, bro. You're taking the heat tonight, not me. Ralph, what the fuck you doing? Tag in and finish the match. Meanwhile, the fans in Houston are confused as they see the Angel Boys standing in the corner talking to each other. No way. I'm sick of you burying me. Do we have to do this now? Take the fucking tag and finish the fucking match. Raphael raises his voice so almost everyone at ringside can hear. No, fuck you, Gabe. I want the fucking hot tag. Go in and take your fucking heat. Wham! Gabriel clocks his, quote, brother right in the face, knocking him out cold in front of 5,000 fans. Raphael bends in half as his unconscious body slides off the apron and his face smacks on the cold concrete floor as shit bursts out of the side of his trunks right in front of the ringside fans. The bruisers are completely confused on what to do, as are the thousands of wrestling fans who have never seen anything like this before. Peyton Thomas and Chris Stanley are watching all of this from an unfortunately empty section of bleachers. Holy shit. Oh my god. First we bury Michael Angel, the most popular guy in the territory, by telling our fans he was actually a loser all along and they were fools forever believing in him. Oh, and by the way, he just beat Donnie Gold at Empire Mania in the greatest match of all time. Then we give these same fans a fake brother that half the people think is bullshit. Yet Bert went out there and practically swore in a Bible that he's real. Now Gabriel just shoot knocked him out to prove it really is bullshit. Peyton, the fuck are we doing to our fans? I know, kid. I know. What an interesting turn of events. I bought SCW for a million dollars and sold it for a million dollars. Julian Kane in his cashmere overcoat stands on the roof of the Empire State Building. Nigel Davies and Les Henderson in their coats behind him, freezing their butts off, as Julian no-sells the cold. But I still come out ahead in this transaction. After all, I got... Julian looks back at Les Henderson. Uh, Nigel. Les looks down sad. Julian turns around and faces the both of them. Be proud, gentlemen. We've made history in 1984. In just one year after my father's death, we crushed the Alliance into pieces, like Ronald Reagan crushed Walter Mondale and established the Empire as the face of professional wrestling. And with the company's future secured, the Empire is truly unstoppable. We have the most impressive-looking wrestlers on Earth, all under one roof, and with our new contracts, no one's going anywhere. And why would they want to leave anyway? They've never made this much money in their lives, and they're only going to make more. Sal stormed off before he could sign off for his 10%. Our legal department will get him to sign it. Of course, Julian. Your father wanted Sal, Louis, and your mother protected for life with shares of the company. As for Louis, I want you to hand deliver the papers. Like you said, I've asked far too much of you in 1984, and, well, also see if he'll come back to work. Nigel, almost tears up, 
knowing how much it took for Julian to even consider Louis again, let alone swallowing his pride to ask for Louis to come back. Of course, Julian. Julian turns away from Nigel and Henderson and looks out over New York City at his kingdom. But this war isn't over just yet. There are still remnants and signs of life from the Alliance that I need to snuff out like a cigarette. But it's just a matter of time before every other Alliance member crumbles into dust or begs me to buy them out. The CWA is not a threat, cable or no cable. What they do has limited appeal to a tiny demographic of yokels in the Carolinas. No one else gives a shit. But 1985 will be the year I finish them off. And one by one, I'll collect the other wrestlers, just like I did Donnie Gold. To bury them and expose those rednecks from the South for the worthless beings that they are. And thank you for pushing the contracts, Nigel. Anytime I feel down, I just think about how much pleasure I'm gonna have by killing Donnie Gold's career and wear him down into a nub. In Malibu, California, a skinny, dark-haired man floats around his pool on a yellow inflatable ring with the head of a duck. He holds a large white brick of a phone with a long silver antenna poking out the top. No, Marty, you gotta hear me out. I ain't washed up, I tell ya. It's a three-picture slump, that's all. Up until 83, it was me, Jimmy Buck. Not Schwarzenegger was the biggest box office drawer in Hollywood. Yes, but now when people want funny, they like Eddie Murphy. Fuck Eddie Murphy. They hand Beverly Hills Cop to that Schwartz instead of me. It should have been me in that picture, Morty. It should have been me. Listen, you need to face reality. Nah, fuck all that. It doesn't matter. Because I got a plan. It was an epiphany, Morty. You hear me? An epiphany. Did you see Empire Mania? The wrestling show from Madison Square Garden? It was magnificent. That son of a bitch Stallone was wrestling in the goddamn ring. And he looked glorious. So what is it, Jimmy? What is your plan? I'm gonna be a wrestler. Oi vey. Jimmy, you tiny man. That is ridiculous. No, Marty. I got it all figured out. I'm gonna wrestle women. Yeah, line up the broads for me. I'm gonna be a bully. Do this for months. Until eventually, some big hero guy wrestler will stick up for him and take me on. How does this make you start again? The publicity, Marty, the publicity. There's gonna be all of the papers everywhere. Eddie Carr still loves me. I'll be in the Eddie Carr show again, on late night. So you want I should call this Julian Kane and arrange this? Nah, I don't want any of them steroid freaks. I want a real man. Someone the audiences can relate to. Who? Oh. I am gonna wrestle the outlaw Jesse James. The lights come on and we see the classic SCW ring in the WVBS studios, covered in dust and cobwebs, as the outlaw Jesse James and CWA owner Hawkins entered the longtime home of All-Star Wrestling. Wow, such history. This is my first time here. Well, it won't be the last time, Danny boy, because the comeback of the World Wrestling Alliance is going to be led by us. No matter what USA Today or, or them sports magazines say, 
We made the CWA the hottest territory in wrestling, not Empire. And just a few weeks after Julian Kane introduced wrestling to a whole new audience, we are going to make our nationwide debut. We can reclaim all of Georgia, reclaim all of Florida. And once we creep up in the Virginias, we will own the entire southeast of America. And don't forget, we're exclusive. Our new agreement with VBS says we're the only wrestling on the station. All South Wrestling is kicked off Sundays. That's ours too. But remember what I told you when I rolled up at your mansion there in Charlotte months ago. I said we can build something special. The perfect roster. And that's what we're going to do. This war Julian started has created a lot of casualties throughout the land. Guys out of work. Guys buried. Devalued. Put on the shelf. Instead of them laying down and feeling sorry for themselves. We're going to bring them together right here to Atlanta to show people what they got and to build our perfect roster in the ring and in the locker room. I love it. I met this kid, Bobby Rivers, who used to work for Burt. I think he's still a little green, so I'm going to team him up with a good hand like David Givens, make him like a pretty boy tag team. I just need to come up with a proper gimmick, but I sort of like his rock and roller look. But since Aloha left for New York, we need someone to draw the blowjobs. Blowjobs? You want me to leave you two alone? Jesse James turns around to see a familiar face enter the studio. Bob Walker is our live and breathe. I appreciate you coming down. I want you to meet Daniel Hawkins. He's our boss now. Owner of the Carolina Wrestling Association and new owner of the old SCW and therefore the All-Star Wrestling Show. What happened to Alliance rules against owning multiple territories? As you know, Bob, things have changed now since Julian. And SCW is dead, so, so he don't own two territories. CWA is just twice as big now. What's the difference? Now, Bobby, I didn't bring you here to argue. I brought you here for a job. Since you've been living in that trailer of yours ever since Julian paid off, you Nigel and Hendo. Yeah, yeah, I know. What's the deal, Jesse? I got this strange call from Prince Abdullah Akbar. Says he found this bar up in Wisconsin that's filled with a bunch of bodybuilders who want to wrestle. He says these boys are mocks and the green is goose shit. But if they look half as good as Abbott says they do, then that's going to mean money. What's that got to do with me? I need you and the prince to train these mocks and turn them into wrestlers as fast as possible. I ain't working with prince. No fucking way. I hate him. <laughs> you miserable old coot. Find me a bridge you haven't burned down, Bob Walker, and I'll give you the deed to this man's mansion. Are you really in position to be picking and choosing your spot? Jesse stares him down while Bob pouts. Hmm. How'd you afford this anyway? Is Carolina that hot? Yes, it is that hot, thanks to Jesse. But I paid a million dollars for all this. Which, by the way, Jesse, I don't think my sister was too happy about me forking out that much dough without her approval. Though she should be grateful. I would have done 1.5. Bringing in a bunch of green bodybuilders is the answer. That's what Julian did, and the shows are the shits because of it. That's true, but the times are changing, and the people do lack bodies, and we need to keep up. But for us, that'll only be part of the package, not the whole thing. I get it. Create a whole slew of monster heels to work with you on top. Jesse the Booker, always booking himself on top. Actually, just the opposite. I'm sure a couple of them will bring in this heel, maybe turn him into Russians or something. 
but the rest, I want to groom them as babyface challengers. You want to turn heel? <laughs> no, Daniel. I plan on dropping the belt this month. To who? Let's just say uh, a recent event have dropped something in my lap. That last piece of the puzzle that put the alliance back on top. Uh, a secret weapon, if you will. Pat winks at Donnie, as he knows Nigel didn't actually watch the match. If you'll excuse me, I need to speak with Donnie. Nigel leads Donnie into the hallway. Yes, Donnie, I need to speak to you in private. It's about your contract. Everyone in the company has signed their contracts, except for you. Let me explain. It's not that- Donnie, I hope you know after all these years, you can trust me. That I would never steer you wrong. Please. Let's talk in Julian's office. Have you signed your contract yet? No, I haven't yet. It's just I wanted- Good. Don't sign it, Donnie. Don't you dare sign that contract. Wait, what? Donnie, you've always been straight with me. So I'm telling you right now to leave the Empire. Julian said I'm going to work with Thor and Tap in the spring. And that's a lie! I mean, that's a lie. I wasn't sure until now his plans for you. Total and complete burial. Donnie sits there for a moment and thinks. Then he looks up, his eyes watering. Do I deserve any better than that? I'm not even sure I belong above Midcard. Donnie, oh Donnie. Don't listen to a word Julian has said to you. It's been a personal grudge with him ever since you failed to bring him the WWA title belt because you dared to show integrity. Julian has had this growing obsession with destroying you that is only getting worse. And in 1985, he wants to complete the destruction of your legacy and career. But I can see now the worst thing he did was make you doubt yourself. Donnie looks down at the floor. Chin up, old boy. Crusher Krawcheck handpicked you out of every wrestler on earth to carry the torch for the Alliance. He created the real first ever supercard, Battle of the Stars, as a symbolic coronation of you as the best wrestler in the world to make you its biggest draw. Every locker room in America worships you as the top guy in the business. No matter who wears the belt or who works the main event, the entire industry knows you are still the best. Even Julian knows it, which is why he's so hell-bent on destroying you. Because Thor Hansen can never be you. Julian could never create you, and that's what he cannot accept. So I'm telling you right now, grab your things in the locker room and run out of here before Julian will even see you. I'll cover for you, but just leave the Empire and never look back. Donnie, his eyes red and watery, looks up at Nigel. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you. I will leave. But not tonight. I can't do that to Michael. Tonight is his night, and I need to put him over. Donnie, this is a mistake. Julian has been burying you on TV with each and every appearance. Getting squashed in eight minutes is only going to make things worse for you. I've never missed a shot, and I'm not going to start now. Besides, I'll be all right out there. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out the only way I know how. He stands, shakes Nigel's hand firmly, and heads to the door. Nigel. Why did you tell me this? 
if I stood you out on this, you'd be caned. We both know you'd never do that, Tommy. When I first saw Julian declare war at Jonathan's funeral a year ago, I was intrigued. This business needs an upheaval, an evolutionary push with the rise of cable. But I had to see it from the front row to understand Julian. And there are things I positively love about Julian. And then there are things that I don't. I am loyal to the Empire and wish to see things through and will help Julian achieve the status he desires. But if things truly go in a bad direction, I do not want to be responsible for the death of our industry. Because ultimately, my loyalty is to the business. And I like to think it is my role as its caretaker to ensure some kind of safeguard is in place. As if Julian's way ultimately proves to not be the way, then someone will need to rise and defeat him. And if he literally destroys all of his enemies, then there is no one to defeat him. So I want the Alliance to have a fighting chance, a secret weapon if you will, for if the Alliance has you, they have a fighting chance. After all, Donny, you simply are the best damn wrestler in the world. Donny drives out the Lincoln Tunnel in the morning sun, his 1984 Mercedes-Benz, with all of his possessions and boxes and trunks in the back seat. As he gets onto I-95 and speeds down the highway, he rolls the window down and tosses out his unsigned EWF contract as it floats away and passes a sign that reads, 880 miles to Atlanta. <laughs> oh yeah! And that was the Kings of the Ring. Thank you so much to everyone that listened to the Kings of the Ring. And now that it's done, I hope you feel like listening again from the beginning, uh, because I think it'll be a different experience the second time around. And pick up on all the little clues that led to all the surprises and swerves throughout. As for the future, please make sure you have the show subscribed or liked or whatever your podcast app requires uh, to get notification of the new episode straight into your phone, because that's where the update is going to come. Uh, otherwise, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Now, the next phase for this series is up in the air, so I don't want to make any announcements or farewells until I know. And if this is just one magical season, I think there's a pretty good way to end it. And if there's just the beginning, then I think there is a lot more story to tell. But either way, an announcement will go out at some point. For those signed up on Patreon.com, the account will be frozen, so you'll no longer be donating uh, until further notice. And for everyone who wishes to express your fandom of the Kings of the Ring with a, a t-shirt, sticker, or coffee mug, please visit the official merchandise store of the show at kingsotr.com store. Many thanks to all involved in the production of the Kings of the Ring, especially uh, Cyrus Fees and L.A. Smooth, and to everyone else who enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening to the Kings of the Ring.